Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Does anyone have those memories as a kid of Palm Sunday? Um, I grew up in a very traditional church and like Palm Sunday, they would have the kids come to the front and like they would give you a palm leaf. Does anyone remember doing that or is that just like my weird church? Okay, there's other people there who did that too, but I vividly remember that and um, I thought it was the coolest thing. So I'm sorry kids, I didn't bring you any palms today. I should have maybe, but I also don't know where to get that in Montreal. It's maybe too cold for that kind of stuff here um, in this beautiful spring morning that we have. But it's a good morning still, and it is joyful to worship together and sing praises to a king that is worthy, and we can shout Hosanna in the highest because he is worthy of it. And we know we're on this side of the victory, and we see it, and we, we sit in this morning in the presence of a king who is victorious. So know that this morning. Um, you're welcome here in this place, like James said. We don't have to be anything we're not. You don't have to show up and put on a different person. You're welcome just the way you are. And we're glad that you're here just the way you are. So we're, we're, we're thankful that we can be in a place and be ourselves. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, let's change that. Let's get to know each other. Um, come and see me after and say, hey, we don't know each other, and it'll be weird at first, but I promise you it'll be better after because then it won't be weird after, and we can have more conversations instead of just, oh, nice weather outside. So let's get to know each other, and um, let's be friends. I'm kind of a friendly person, maybe. Today, we're finishing up. I'm going to move this. Sorry, this is in my way. I'm a moving person because I think I have maybe issues. I don't know. I move a lot. I drink like four cups of coffee. Anyone else this morning? It's one of those mornings, five, oh, 10, okay, nice. James always has me beat. But this morning, with that energy, we're finishing, guess what? We're finishing our series in Exiles, guys. Whoa, crazy, right? It's been a few weeks, maybe a month or two has passed. Maybe you don't remember when it started. But today is the last day of it. And I hope that through this series, similar to me, you have found it very timely it was very timely in my life to walk through this and very practical for me. Um, I hope it has been for you. We prayerfully considered this series before we did it, and I hope that it has been that for you. And hopefully today we can tie it up and wrap up this present nice and neat so that we can walk away knowing what this whole series, series was about and what we are to do now as exiles. We've kind of been walking through that each week, but as we just unpack Second Peter 3, is literally what Peter's doing. He's saying, remember what I told you. This is what you're to do. Remember that you are this. Do this. So that's what we're going to do today. Hopefully it's simple. And hopefully everyone pays attention. Right? We're all paying attention. Yes, some nods in the room. I have trouble paying attention, especially if I sit in the back. I can find myself playing crosswords. So everyone, it helps to look forward and, you know, nod. Eh, I'm paying attention. And it helps me feel like I'm not just speaking to, like, Stephen, who's always looking at me. Or I look back here, JC's looking at me. Thank, thank you here. All right, thank you. All right, we got a whole room in here now. But like I said, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 3. So if you have 
copy of God's Word. You can turn there. If it's on your phone, you can flip there electronically. It'll also be on the screen. And if you need a Bible, we have French and English ones on that Connect table. Take it. It's yours. Yours forever. And if you need another one, we'll give you another one. But like I said, he starts the first verse just as a reminder. He's saying, hey, remember what I said the past letter? Remember what I said the past earlier, what I said in the letter? Remember what the prophets and the apostles said? So in that mind, he's like, all right, just remember, just remember. So we know that he's referencing what he's been speaking about, and he's about to close it for us. Our main point and what I think Peter gives us here is instructions for exiles in the last days. And basically, those two things are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to him be the glory now and forever. I want to give you that now so you can be looking for it, and we're going to unpack it, and and hopefully it'll make sense to you. But that's what we're going to be looking for in this scripture, and I think that's kind of the order Peter gives us here. It comes from the final verse in the chapter. I'm not just pulling that out of nowhere. You can take a peek at verse 18. That's where I directly pulled it out from. So I think all of what we're going to be discussing today flows out of these instructions for us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and to him be glory. The last days, when I said exiles and the last days, the last days simply come between the first coming of the Messiah when Jesus came and then the second coming when he is to come again. So we are living in the Bible is considered the last days. All right, everyone get that? It makes sense. Sometimes you can think like, oh, it's a far off thing. The last days are to come. No, simply the last days are in between when Jesus first came, died on the cross, and now when he is to come again. And he is coming again, church. Don't forget, I can live this life that's like, oh, it's, it's, it's never gonna happen. It's, it's happening. We're not finished until the end. This is Peter's reminder, reminder, encouragement to us. Don't give up. Keep on going. The race is not over. The end days are coming. So keep pushing forward. Before we begin reading the passage, I want to explain the first seven verses because I think they set the tone for the last ten that we're going to focus on. But because I can't keep you here for two hours, we can't do all of it. So I'm just going to story tell that. Is, that. is that good? You guys don't want to be here two hours? All right. Some people do want to be here two hours. All right, let's preach it. No, I'm just kidding. We're only going to do the, first, the last ten. In the first seven, Peter says basically false teachers, which we talked about last week, false teachers are going to come and they're going to say these things. Where is the promised coming? The last days aren't real. It's not coming. Where is the day of the Lord? Where is judgment day? Where are the end times? He said that the false teachers will say, life keeps going the same way it has for our ancestors. Nothing's changed since when they came and died, and now that I'm here and will die, there's no proof. Nothing has changed. But they, Peter says, but they deliberately forget. God formed the earth by his word and by water, referencing create the story of creation and Peter says and by the same word and water he brought judgment to the earth if we remember the story of Noah and by the same by the same word and now by fire Peter says this present earth and heavens are reserved for fire being kept for judgment day Peter's basically using these first seven verses to say hey don't forget God did judge the world once 
and it almost destroyed everything. But he spared it because of the faith of Noah which I love this beautiful foreshadowing of God's judgment at the end times that when the earth will be destroyed, as Peter says, by fire here, and those who have faith in Jesus will be saved. So don't listen to these false teachers. Peter says, God has been saying and pointing throughout scripture that the end times are coming and that the Lord is coming and the only way we are saved is by Jesus. Don't forget, don't let these people trick you. It is important for us today to know that, that we are in the end times as we unpack the rest of 2 Peter 3. So with that being said, let's read our scripture. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping of his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Continuing in verse 14, it says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom that God gave him. And he finishes here. We'll skip. He finishes the last two verses. It says, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray over the reading of your word that you would bless it, that you would teach us and equip it to our hearts. God, that you would speak this morning and we would walk away being able to honor and praise you with this truth. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Basically, I want to take those 10 verses and take them one or two at a time and unpack what Peter is saying to us and what we are to do as exiles. And by exiles in this whole series, we've talked about as Christians, those who have put their faith in Jesus, we do not belong to this world here, that we belong to the kingdom of God and we are exiles here, wanderers here in this earth representing our king. So with that in mind, this is what we are to do. Verses eight and nine, Peter just says plainly, he says, don't forget one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Because that's the argument that the people are trying to use at the beginning of, well, it's just taken so long. It's been forever, so he's just definitely not coming. Which at that point, it hadn't really been that long since Jesus had been there. So imagine like how impatient people maybe grow today. But I love how Peter writes this here saying, a thousand years. It's just like a day to the Lord. He isn't lying. And I think a lot of us can sit in this room here and we might say, well, this was about 2,000 years ago. So like, is it even true? 
And I know Peter knows, like, that's why the Lord gave him that wisdom to write that. Because for the Lord, it's been like two days. It's been two days since Jesus, Jesus came, church. That's how time is for the Lord. Because we can't understand it, and we grow so impatient and can't focus on anything. For me, I can't focus on anything that's not like a day or two ahead. People would be like, hey, what are you doing in two weeks? And I'm like... Ask me in two weeks, please. Like, I don't know right now. But I love what Peter says here. What seems like forever to us is but a short time for God. And for parents in the room, have you ever tried to tell a kid that you're going to do something tomorrow? Have you ever tried to do that? Or maybe, ooh, maybe not even tomorrow. You can say, we're going to do that in an hour. How many times do they come back to you? Has it been an hour? Has it been an hour? Is it tomorrow yet? Is it next week yet? Is my birthday here? Like, because they can't see. They're like, oh, it's just taking forever. This eternity, I'm waiting so long. Christmas is so far away. Whatever it be, they can't see that time passes. And for us, it's so short. I don't know about you, but a week feels like an hour sometimes. And it's the total opposite for a kid. But just as the same for us, what feels like an eternity is but a day to the Lord. So I promise you, the end is coming. The day of the Lord will be here. And we can't, we can't act like it won't. We can't act like things that will go on and there won't be a day of judgment. And the beauty in the scripture, as Peter says, he's being patient for our sake. That's the heart of our Lord, church. He wants, it says he wants everyone to repent and know him. That's why he's patient. This is the heart. I read this quote. It says, many of those who are Christians today, maybe you're sitting in this room who are Christians today, are happy that Jesus didn't return 10 years ago or five years ago or two or one year or even maybe a month ago. There is a compassionate and purpose for God's timing. And some of you might be sitting here thinking, I gave my life to the Lord last year or two years ago and I'm so thankful that he is patient and I got to be a part of his family. The Lord's timing is for our sake. It is compassionate and it's so that all will come to know him. In verse 10, but it continues, he says, but the day will come like a thief. That expression, like a thief, is surprising and sudden. Has anyone ever been robbed before? This maybe is like a personal question. <laughs> so like... <laughs> It happens. I had a lot of friends in college who were robbed because the college, like somehow universities are always in bad parts of town and like the university housing is in the worst part of the city in the States, maybe not here. But like when you're getting robbed, you don't typically know it's going to happen, right? Like that'd be a pretty terrible thief or maybe a really good thief, a really bold one that's like, hey, I'm going to rob you and then robs you. But usually it just happens really quick. It's like a whirlwind and you end up on the ground or whatever and all your stuff's gone. And you're like, well, I didn't see that coming because maybe if I did, I wouldn't be here. But just in the same way, it's not like it's saying the Lord is going to steal from us. He's going to be like, ah, that took your change, your pocket watch, whatever you have. I don't know. Freddie, you have a pocket watch? You seem like a guy who It's very fancy. I like it. No? All right. I'll buy you one. But no, it's saying he's not going to steal things from us, but it's just in the same way. We, we can't expect it. We don't know. Like we expect it, but we don't know like right now it's coming. I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to get robbed. Maybe I will, but the Lord's saying he will come and you're not going to know when it's happening and it's going to be sudden and we cannot predict it. 
And I think he's combating a lot of people who try to predict things that are to come. They're like, oh, I've done these calculations and like the Mayan calendar, whatever. It was like, it's going to end in 2012. Here we are. It's not 2012 and we're still alive. So like he's saying, you cannot predict it. We can't create a formula to figure it out. It's all in the Lord's timing, but it is coming. We're going to jump over verse 11 because we're going to come back to it towards the end. You will see, I promise it's going to tie together. So be looking for it when we revisit verse 11. But Peter says, since the end is coming and we can't predict it, it's going to come like a thief in the night. This is what we can do. Verse 13, but keeping in mind with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is what should and does encourage me, and I hope it encourages you, and it gets us through the parts of this world that don't feel like righteousness dwells. Because we are exiles here. Be reminded, church, this is not our home. As people who have put their faith in Jesus, this is not our home. Our home is with him where righteousness dwells. Doesn't that sound, I don't know about you, that sounds very beautiful. There's no war. There's a lot going on right now in the world. But our home, there's no war. There's no pain, there's no hurt, there's no sickness. There's just righteousness. And one day soon we will be there with him. And the day is coming, and I know Peter tells us that, so that we can look forward and say, Lord, I will be home with you one day. And I can make it through anything here because I know this, this is but a blink of an eye and my time and eternity with you. So I look forward to the day coming. Peter says we look forward to our day where we live where righteousness dwells. And Peter says as we look forward to that day and look back at verse 12, he says you look forward to that day of God coming and we will be where righteousness dwells and we speed its coming. That might be confusing for you. It was for me. I had to learn about that this week. I was like, how do I speed the Lord coming? Your translation might say, how do we hurry along? He says, you hurry along his coming or hasten what God will do. So as Christians, how can we hasten the day of the Lord? And I believe that Peter would answer that by saying, we pray and we preach. Not preach like stand here and preach to the church gathered in this room. We're going to unpack it. But we pray and we preach Those are the two principal means to bring people to repentance. Because the Lord is being patient that no one would be destroyed. So we speed the coming of the Lord because he wants all to be saved. We speed it by praying. Like Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray for those around us to come to know Jesus. That's something in the discipleship I walk in, we've been challenging each other with. How can we expect those in our lives that don't know Jesus to come to know him if we're not on our knees before the Lord saying, please save them? What am I expecting to happen? Am I hoping that someone else is praying for them? Do I really care for these people and their salvation if I'm not looking at their name before the Lord and saying, Lord, save Lord, give me opportunity to share. Give someone else opportunity that they would see Jesus, that they would come to know him. 
So we speed the coming of the Lord. We hasten the coming by prayer because he wants everyone to be saved. Another way we hasten is by preaching. Not just this one aspect of preaching, but the word using preaching here is like proclaiming. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. Matthew 24, 14 says, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So I'm telling you, church, we've got to get this to all the nations. We've got to get it where people haven't heard it. And I promise you, you, you think it's in these remote parts of the world, but it's the person right next to you on the bus. It's the person right next to you at your job that you work next every day. It's the person who you sit next to in the back of the classroom because you both show up late with your Starbucks. I've been there, trust me, I've been there. He has you in a place and a purpose and we hasten his coming because like him, we want all to be saved. So how could we not speak of what we have seen and heard like Peter and John say in Acts 4? We want them to know. We want them to come to know the Lord because we know the day is coming when he will bring judgment and I can't, I can't be okay. I don't want them to face this judgment so I have to pray for them and I have to preach because the day is coming. That's what we are to do as exiles. Our hope and desire is that all would hear this good news and that all would be saved. This is how we speed the coming of the Lord. We pray and we preach. As we continue in the text, in the last couple verses, Peter tells us how we are to live, kind of these guidelines or expectations of us as exiles. And I think they all flow out of the last verse. Peter has this funny way of writing. Maybe it's Greek and I just don't understand Greek perfectly yet. Hopefully one day I will. I'll be fluent. I don't know. But it kind of feels backwards to us. Like he'll, he'll give this list of things and he's like, because of this. And he ends with it. And you're like, hey, I wish you would have put that first because I, I was like, how am I supposed to do these things? And you're like, here. So I want us to start with the thing that flows, that the things will flow out of how I think he's writing here. This is where we're going to revisit verse 11 that we skipped moments ago. I told you we'd come back. I'm not lying to you. In verse 11, Peter says that we are to live holy and godly lives. And in verse 14, as exiles, he says we are to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. And if you're like me, I can read those tasks and I can say, (laughs) oh, good luck. I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. I am not blameless. I have a lot of blame, actually. How can I be at peace? And that's why I believe these all flow out of how Peter ends on such a strong note, this letter that he wrote to the church. So we can read it this way. We can say, so we are to live holy, godly lives, found spotless, blameless, and at peace with the Lord by Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. 
So I see here these instructions for exiles he gives us. The first thing, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because out of that and that only will flow holy and godly lives. Out of knowing Jesus and experiencing his grace, we are found spotless and blameless. And we will be brought at peace with the Lord. And in that, to him be the glory. I promise you, church, that it must flow out of this last verse. I can only live holy and set apart and godly because the grace of Jesus Christ has made me holy. In this room, you might feel guilty sitting there saying, oh, I'm not blameless, I'm not spotless, I'm definitely not holy. I feel this. We are not without the grace of Jesus Christ. So you don't have to say, well, I've got to get it together before I can come to Jesus, before I can give my life to him and become an exile like other people here. No, no, no. We are all full of spots and blame without the grace of Jesus Christ. He has paid my debt. My sins, my many sins that make me unholy. And fill me with spots and blame. He paid them on the cross, church. With his life by his blood. And now I am washed and made new. He has made and calls me holy. And he calls me spotless and blameless. Only because he is those things. And I'm telling you, I wrestled with that this week, church. I wrestled. Because I think so often I don't believe that statement. I think that I still have to pay for these things that I've done. That I think I carry this, this burden of like, well, I didn't do good enough this week. So can I really stand up here and preach to these people? Can I really come in this room and serve and love people? Can I go throughout the week and really be in exile? Because I feel so full of blame. Church, the beauty and the gospel is that the grace of Jesus Christ calls you enough. And I wrestled with that, church. Because I carry guilt. I carry it. And I promise you, you don't have to this morning. And we'll get more into the resurrection of Jesus next week and the freedom that brings. I promise you, you don't want to miss it. But church, know this morning that these things that Peter says we are to be, we are only them because of Jesus Christ. So don't let that weigh you down this morning. Say, I've got, to, I've got to be these things. How can I be blameless or spotless? You are by resting in the grace of Jesus Christ and pursuing knowing him more. I read this awesome quote this week on our responsibility to grow in his grace and knowledge of him. It's gonna be on the screen. You can follow along. It really made sense to me. It says, to grow in grace does not mean gaining more grace from God. God's grace never increases. It is infinite. It cannot be more, and according to the nature of God, it can never be less. Praise the Lord, right? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should be saved. John three sixteen. How much more grace could there possibly be than that? But to grow in grace is to grow in our understanding of what Jesus did and to grow in our appreciation of the grace we have been given. 
The more we learn about Jesus, the more we will appreciate all that he has done. And the more we appreciate his love and sacrifice for us, the more we will perceive the never-ending grace of God. That is your responsibility. We are only found holy and godly and spotless and blameless and at peace with him when we accept and rest in his grace. When we grow in his grace and knowledge of him, when we pursue to rest and that I am made clean in him and that I desire to know him more and worship him more, then out of that flows this living. And I can't focus on the living and the things that I need to do unless I'm abiding in the grace and knowing and pursuing him. A lot of times I get that reversed. I'm like, okay, if I focus on being blameless and spotless, then I'll actually be closer to Jesus. You will be no closer because he has brought you right next to him, church. Know that this morning. When we accept and rest in his grace, when we grow in his grace and knowledge of him, do I desire to know him more every day? To rest fully in his grace, not what I can do to get there? To completely surrender, oh, I talked about that this week with my friends, completely surrendering myself, giving up the right of myself that I have made it here to this place, to, that I have earned this place that I'm in, or I earn these things to me. Whew. That's a hard one. But when we surrender to his grace and rest in it and pursue to know him, out of that flows holy, godly, and spotless living. And it is all for this one purpose, how Peter ends, to bring him glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, church. Amen. It's not so that I can sit one day before Jesus and say, oh, come on, hey, thank you. Like, come on, pat me, pat me. I'm, I'm good. Like, you see what I did while I was on earth as your exile? No, no, no. It's not that I will receive anything. A lot of times, religions in the world, we they are based around we do things to receive things. But Jesus Christ said, I have given you all that you need to receive. And now out of me flows this living so I receive glory. Not so that I get anything because I have been given everything I need. I don't want to sit one day and say, I did so good. I'm so holy. I worked harder. I was better. No, no, no. We live this way as exiles so he may receive all Every bit, every single last bit of the glory. I have given up the right to myself. And that's hard. That's easy to say. But there are times when I serve and I do things and I'm like, man, I just wish someone would say, hey, that was really good. Good job. That is not surrendering the right to myself. That is like selfish intentions. No, I'm right there with you. But what we do is we bring that back to the Lord. We say, God, I need to rest in your grace. I want to know you. I want to serve for you. So that it all points to you as my life as an exile points to the coming of the king, the holy and blameless and spotless one who made the way so that I could be at peace with him. As exiles, we live this way to point people right to Jesus, towards the home that we belong to, reflecting what the new heaven and new earth will be like to the people here so they might get a glimpse of the kingdom of God. They might get a glimpse of righteous living and see that it is so much better than what the world has to offer. 
churches we close and think about all these things. The day of the Lord is coming. We are in the end times. It is coming. Are we living as exiles, growing in his grace and knowledge of him? Church, if you walk away with anything, please walk away and do that. Don't think that you have to walk away and do anything else. Go to the feet of Jesus. Rest in that grace and pursue to know him more. That's step one. Do that. And if we can get that right, if we can do that on a regular basis, I promise you all this other stuff, it'll just happen and we won't even think about it. Grow in his grace and knowledge of him. And our lives will represent and point people to Jesus. And we've got to be praying for them. And we've got to be proclaiming the good news so that they might spend eternity with us. And I was pressed with this question this week as I read this. Do I want them to spend eternity with me or am I good without them? The Lord brought that question to me this week and I was like, hey, who's that for? And he said, that's for you. Are you really good without those people spending eternity? Because you sure don't pray for them. You aren't sharing with them, Dylan. Come on. I want them to be saved. Don't feel guilty in this room. That's the Lord encourage you saying, we can do this together because you can walk in my grace and we can do it. Don't walk away with your head hung down. Walk away and say, I, am, I know that the Lord equips me to do this. And there are people that I deeply care about and he's stirring up this care in me because he wants them to know him. He wants them to spend eternity with him. He is patient for them so that all might be saved. Am I? I lack patience. It's one of my, when I read the fruits of the Spirit, I often forget that one. It's pretty ironic. It's one of the things I struggle with most. Patience. Do I live that way? We'll end with this awesome quote that I read. A great Spurgeon quote. What a great way to end something, right? Like, his, like he's going to end it better than I ever could. He wrote this. He said, the king is coming. The king in all his glory. We just sang that song, church. I didn't even tell James that I was going to say this, but like it worked out perfectly. The king in all his glory is coming. He is coming to his throne and to his judgment. Now a man does not go up to a king's door and there talk treason. And men do not sit in a king's audience chamber when they expect him any moment to enter and speak ill of the king. The king is on his way and he's almost here. You are at his door and he is at yours. What manner of people ought you to be? How can you sin against the one who is so close at hand. Run to Jesus this morning, church. Run to Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.